Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Clearance. The Starlight Lounge presents an evening with the progressive box. The moon. Yeah. That's Hugo tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi oh! This next one's for you too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Welcome, everyone, to the 100th episode of the NBA podcast. Yes, somehow we have not been canceled. We would officially be in syndication if we were a TV show. Unfortunately, we are not, so we are not going to get the money from those rights on reruns. I'm Brian Taporic. Today, we have a great episode for you. We're going to talk about OKC. George Hill being pissed that he signed with the Bad Kings team, Tom Thibodeau trying to kill the Timberwolves, and the Chicago Bulls, who we have intentionally avoided talking about all season, but now they're actually playing well and giving a shit. It's amazing. Before we get underway, wanted to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter, at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find all of our handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, follow, leave us some reviews. We would love any feedback. We're being hosted this year on FanRag Sports, so check them out on Twitter, at FanRag Sports, and for their NBA content, at FanRag NBA. Joining me, as always, is my co-host. Are you tired of not earning anything on your hard-earned money? Your path to more money starts with a certificate from Pathways Financial Credit Union. Right now, earn a 2.68% annual percentage yield on a 60-month certificate with a minimum balance of just $500. Great rates like this have helped make Pathways the fastest-growing credit union in Ohio over the last 10 years. Earn more on your money. Stop by any convenient location or check us out at Pathways CU. Com. Pathways is federally insured by the NCUA. Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? It's going well, Brian. 100 episodes. It's a little bit bittersweet that we've reached the point and Sarah isn't here to enjoy it, but she's actually off, you know, getting a career, unlike the two of us. <laughs> right. Yeah, she's yeah. she's hanging out with the newly returned Kawhi Leonard these days, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That sort of defeats what we're doing right here. <laughs> right. So, more last time, I mean, for the last couple of weeks, we've been, you know, we, we've been aware that this episode is coming up. We were kicking around ideas for who to have on as our special guest to commemorate it. Last episode, you floated Sean Marks out there. Unfortunately, he did not listen to the podcast and hit us up on DMs and <laughs> request to come on. So, that fell short. So, you know, usually when you hit 100 episodes of something... There's usually a callback to the very beginning. And so that got us thinking as we're coming up with who to have on. Who who was there with us since the very beginning? And then we thought back, you know, a couple years ago, you were an editor for a site that shall not be named. I was a writer for them. The site does not exist anymore. Uh, And then our special guest, the none other than Mark Deeks, was the editor-in-chief of that site. We eventually migrated over to B-Ball Breakdown, which is where we met Sarah, 
and history has been made from there. So, Mark, welcome on to the show. Good to have you. Hello, gentlemen. That is the guiltiest intro I've ever had. There's three <laughs> There's three things going on there. There's firstly, oh, I miss Sarah. I really wish Sarah was here. No one would be as good as Sarah. Well done, her. Shame on us. Our life sucks. And secondly, there's... We tried to get someone else, and we couldn't get them. We got stuck with you, you English prick. And thirdly, there is... Hey, do you remember that time that Mark got us all fired from that site that time? See, it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant three-part guilt trip there. I feel yeah. really happy to be here. Right, that's my time, so thank you, everybody. Um, have a good rest of the show. We're, we're doing what we can to make you feel welcome, yeah. Mark. Uh, oh, is that and welcome? I'm pretty sure that okay, we got yes, fired welcome. at a board meeting, right? <laughs> Uh, that's the story I heard as well, yeah, but uh, yeah. it had the slight stench of bullshit about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, there were some fun Facebook threads back in the day about that one. But Mark, we are glad to have you. You are, frankly, you're better than Sean Marks. We, you've been around for longer, so we like you more. Um, and you've got some exciting news to share about a new venture you're starting is on Monday. So please let our listeners know what you'll be up to, uh, starting in a couple days. Uh, the NBA has an office in London. They want to make some of that sweet, sweet Premier League money. They want to grow the game over here. Uh, they used to have their own UK-specific subsite, nba.com slash UK, but now they've signed a partnership deal with an incumbent media company, Give Me Sport, who have enormous audience in other sports, and they want to uh, use that partnership, use the Give Me Sport audience and the NBA access to convert and build up a uh, British uh, NBA basketball audience. I will be the partnership lead on that beginning in about 40 hours, um, which will mean in practice a lot more work coming out of me in realms of the NBA. Uh, it's it's a role with tremendous potential because when you combine the access with the resources, there's an awful lot we'll be able to do. For example, the game in London, um, Boston versus Philadelphia, January the 10th. Uh, we can talk to anybody, shoot anything. There's a lot we can do. It's an awful lot of potential, and it falls on this guy right here to uh, try and do something about that. So um, I look forward to getting more people fired from, from more <laughs> online writing gigs, which is what I'm really good at. Uh, to anyone who doesn't know the story, that probably sounds really suspicious, but that's, that's, the, uh, that's the crux of how myself, Morton, and Brian met. Morton had a nice gig, and I ruined it. So um, anyway, yes, yeah, so try and be positive, Mark. Be positive. So yes, good evening. I shall be the NBA, par- NBA partnership lead for uh, Give Me Sport in partnership with the NBA UK beginning on Monday. Yeah, so Mark, where can people find you on Twitter so they can find all the work that's going to be coming out in the, the coming weeks? Uh, at Mark Deeks NBA, that's D-E-E-K-S. I can't have just at Mark Deeks because there's a bald pianist from uh, Newcastle <laughs> who has it. I've got the domain name. He's got the Twitter handle. I offered to trade. He said no. He didn't even use it that much. It's silly. Really? Well, we're in, we're in like a, we've bonded over our really stupid name. There's not many of us, so we've bonded. It's like a, it's a brotherly thing. And uh, we are in an impl- implicit but deadly, deadly serious competition to see who shows up earliest in the Google search results. <laughs> Can't lie, it's him. So, fuck that guy. But, but yeah, he's, he's, he's got the Twitter handle, so, you know, he's a scumbag. You're about to take the lead on that, maybe, because you're going to start having a lot of this NBA-branded content coming out soon. Yeah, that is the kind of petty, pointless challenge that fuels me as a person. <laughs> so you're right, maybe I am. That is certainly all I want from this life, to be the most recognized person with my own stupid name. So, life's a good one. At least it didn't block you. I was trying to get at Morton, 
and the dude just blocked me straight up when oh. I contacted him. So you've yeah. gone for the entire first name. That is balls. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Fair play. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it didn't work, but fair play. Right. I like, I like right. the hustle. Yeah. Play big. <laughs> Well, Mark, again, thank you for joining us. We are excited to have you on, and we, we encourage all of our uh, listeners to give you a follow on Twitter. If you haven't followed Mark in recent years, I mean, before uh, Basketball Insiders and before Spotrack, Mark was the salary cap guy, one of the smartest basketball minds out there, uh, and I expect nothing but good things coming out from Give Me Sport, especially shit. I didn't realize, like, you're you're so right. You could... The Philly Boston game in London. I, if if you don't film like a fifty minute video with Joel Embiid just talking about everything, especially how much he likes to talk shit and how that fuels him, I'm going to be very sad. So, afterwards, Brian, we're going to have a conversation where I'm going to steal all your ideas and claim them as my own. Good, yeah, deal. I, I've got plenty, as you could imagine, for for the Philly side, especially. So excellent. Well, that's a recipe for success anyway. So that's <laughs> yeah. fine. All right, guys, let's get into it. We got to start. Speaking of Philly, we got to start with OKC, who uh, hung a triple overtime loss on my Sixers last night that I'm still not emotionally recovered from. You know, in in about double overtime, where I was screaming just about every slur I could imagine, I started to realize, like, hmm, my neighbors could probably hear me through the wall. This is going to be a little awkward tomorrow. So I still haven't stepped outside my house. I'm going to try to avoid them for the next week. But on the OKC side of things... They've won six of eight. They've got wins against San Antonio, Minnesota, and Indiana in that span. Deeks, do you think they're, you know, they were eight and 12 at one point. They're back to 500 now. Do you think they're starting to kind of put it together and get over this early season slump that they were in? Well, the results certainly say as much, um, but it's not great out there. It's, it's improved, certainly, as reflected in the records as slightly reflected in the aesthetics and the balance of the roster, but they are so far short of where they could be, or at least where we feel they could be. I guess you can't empirically prove that. But it's not pretty. I mean, take Westbrook's shooting night last night. He shot someone up four for 76 or something crazy. It's (laughs) not pretty. It's not efficient. The balance isn't there. Uh, Most of the pieces are. Yes, they're a little short of bench depth, but they just don't cohere well at all. So we can't say that they have... um, fulfilled their potential or or even become that good at such a time that they are so sure of it i mean what is what seed is 500 is seventh or eighth seed or ninth maybe i don't know where they are i'm not going to look it up it doesn't really matter that it speaks to the fact though that they're so far so far short still so yes well done then for incremental improvements and the whole regular season should be about incremental improvements you're supposed to crescendo you're supposed to be ready come the end of the season it's not supposed to be a polished vehicle right now but Let's uh, let's not get too far carried away with that because they're not very good still. They're still not very good. There's not a, a contender in either conference that you'd pick them against. They're uh, they're far short, and I'm not sure where the uh, where the coherence comes from with their current setup, including both players and staff. But yes, well done on last night, I suppose. <laughs> well done. I'm breaking my heart. Yeah, uh, more. I mean, I think we should we could use the last night kind of as a jumping off point because especially in double overtime, Andre Roberson, like I think it was the final play of double overtime. He gets a pass right under the basket. Like it should have been an easy layup if he just went up for it. I mean, Embiid was closing in on him, but you know, he had positioning 
and he passed up the shot, and then they fed it right back to him, and then he went for the layup, and he missed it. It, it, Is the problem, does it start with Roberson? Like, the fact that, I mean, the Sixers, like, J.J. Redick was not guarding him. He was playing completely off of Mm -hmm. him, and they were double-teaming Carmelo Anthony because Carmelo got hot. So, like, can... Is it is it a rotation problem for OKC that you know they just need another two way player in that starting lineup? Do you think they can win with Roberson, who's you know incredible defensively, but is getting the Tony Allen treatment already on offense? Yeah, I think it's about minutes, really. I mean, okay, it was a triple overtime game, so Roberson ended up playing thirty four minutes. That's not a whole lot, given that it was three overtime games. But you have games wherein he plays like the vast majority of a ball game and he's a non-shooter he's a non-scorer that plays into it you can't give him the ball you have you can actually play you know four on five defensively and that limits the flexibility of the three other guys so yes i mean to your to answer your question you always need a two another two-way guy you can never have too many two-way guys i don't want to put it at the feet of roberson though like he is what he is people know what he is He's a strong defender. He can crash the boards on occasion. And, I mean, God willing, sometimes he has those games where he just knocks down threes. So he is that type of guy. They just need to restructure their offense and sort of stagger the minutes better for Camelo and Paul George specifically and not let Russell Westbrook just go crazy. I mean, you, you can sense when he's off, and yet he still kept, you know, keeps getting fed mm-hmm. all the time. And Mark alluded to this as well, the depth. That you mm-hmm. need to have something, someone coming off the bench and provide some more shooting. Like Raymond Fel- Felton did well yesterday, but you need yeah. to have something more consistent. Like I think it's a shame that Doug McDermott had to be included in that deal. It was necessary, obviously, but like he would probably have had a nice role to play uh, with OKC here, just as a shooter. He, because he could play the four, he could play the three. You could even, on occasion, very rarely though, it would be a nightmare defensively, play him as the off guard. Just, I mean there would be some more opportunity there, but then you lose out on the defense. And so I don't think it's a Roberson problem. I think it's a structure problem. Do you think there's someone on the roster? You you know, you mentioned they need another two way player. Is there such a solution on the roster? Do they need to be buyers at the trade deadline? Well, there isn't right now. There might be in a couple of years in Terrence Ferguson. Mm -hmm. So, but, but here's the thing. They haven't played him a whole lot. And he's 19, so he's not going to contribute immensely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're at a stage where they can't really afford to give him a shit ton of minutes. Because if you do, you risk losing a whole lot more, and then all is for naught. Right. But th- there is a guy there who has the potential for it in him. Alex Sabrinas is a good shooter. He's mm-hmm. got some potential as a scorer. Defensively, I'm not sold on him yet. He seems pretty dreadful at times, and then he can be average on other nights it's it's just not a consistent level yet um so i don't think it's an internal problem i, I would probably go into the trade deadline with an open mind but i wouldn't go balls to the wall and overpay for somebody because it doesn't make them better than houston or golden state or san antonio anyway and that's not to say they shouldn't try to improve obviously they should mm-hmm. but i wouldn't overpay because people can leave yeah and then I- you're stuck Right. I mean, I think they have they have some two-way talent on the roster. Whether anyone becomes a consistent contributor, you alluded to Abrinas and Terrence Ferguson. Also, Josh Westis. I mean, yeah. they've got guys there. Patrick Patterson also, I mean, we've been wondering, 
since the start of the season why he's not playing more. I know he's not a wing, he's more of a forward, but like that seems like another obvious place where they can get a little more coming out of their bench. I mean, to me, you guys both alluded to it as well, like the minutes distribution, there should never be a time where all four of Carmelo Anthony, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and Steven Adams are not on the court. Frankly, there should never be a time, I, I mean, with possibly rare exceptions, where at least two of those guys aren't on the court at all times. Like, it should not be that hard to keep all at least one of your four best players on the floor at all times. Because otherwise, yeah, you're relying on Raymond Felton and a bunch of inconsistent guys. Like, you're going to cough up leads pretty consistently. So it might right, just be... But the problem with that, though, sorry, I didn't wish to interrupt. The problem yeah. with that is that the whole point of your current team, the whole lure, the whole thing that makes you supposedly relevant is the quality of those four. Now, mm-hmm. it was three in particular. Now, if you want to... Um, well, you need Yes, you do need to uh, separate them out so that you're not running absolute direct lineups out there. But then that means you're playing the four together less. The whole point of this amazing lineup is that it's an amazing lineup. But you can't just play them together at the end and get by with two two of them on the court for the first three quarters because then you're mitigating what's supposed to be your great strength. Um, I think think perhaps more than Morton was saying, I think Robeson is getting close to unplayable for more than 20 minutes. I appreciate he's actually got a surprisingly tidy... Uh, net rating and yes he does of course have his strengths on the court but he is such a negative offensively that it's becoming a problem now ideally um well it's not a pretty playbook let's put it that way that they're, they're mm-hmm. running iso heavy stuff often when they need especially in clutch situations and roberson is the opposite of the iso kind of player he can't even stand in the corner well but at the same time that's the personnel that they have uh, that's the playbook that they have. They don't cohere. You can't find a solution in, inside the roster necessarily. And I agree with you, Ferguson, long way from ready. All he does right now is foul and brick. But Robeson himself, whilst not the problem, is emblematic of it because he is too limited, too stagnant. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's, it's tough to see a solution just because... You know, I, I think you're right, Mark. Like you, you, you do want to play those four guys as much as possible. But if if you're running out this bench unit that is getting blown out, like you got to make some adjustments. I mean, to OKC's credit, they have the second best defense in the league right now. They are one tenth of a point behind Boston for the lead. Offense is the problem. I mean, they're 25th in offensive rating, and a, a team with you know, heading into the year, you figured they were going to be good on defense because of Roberson, because of Steven Adams, because Paul George. But you also figured a team with Westbrook, Paul George, and Carmel Anthony would be better than 25th on offense. And, like, but through November 30th, they were just so abysmal in clutch time. They were 1-9. They had a net rating of minus 42.2, which was ahead of only the Dallas Mavericks. Now they are 7-10 and 10 in games that go into clutch time. They're slightly less awful. They're at minus 14.6. But that's still not... <laughs> that's not good. Like, you, you you want your team to be outscoring the other and in close games, ideally. So, I'm interested to see what happens. They do have a soft stretch of schedule coming up. I mean, 
they play the Rockets on Christmas Day, and then they have home games against Toronto and Milwaukee at the end of the month. Other than that, though, I know they're coming off a triple overtime game, but if Kristaps Porzingis misses tonight's game against the Knicks, then you got the Nuggets, you got two against the Jazz next week, and Rudy Gobert. You know, we'll see what's up with him. He suffered what's believed to be an MCL sprain last night, so he might miss both of those. You got a game against Atlanta, then at the New Year's Eve, Dallas. Then start of eighteen is Clippers, Lakers, Suns. So they like realistically they could go nine and three over that stretch. I'd say anything worse than that is a disappointment. Mark, what happens if you know? We think they're starting to right the ship, but let's say they go through that stretch and they just completely implode. Is there a point where they need to at least start considering whether they should trade Paul George to avoid risking losing him for nothing? You know, if, say, you know, before he went to OKC, there was just constant Paul George is leaving to go to the Lakers in 2018 rumors. Do you think OKC should still be afraid of that? And should they consider trading him if? You know, they go belly up over this next month? Uh, they should be afraid of that, but they'd have to go so belly up that I can't foresee it ever happening. We're talking something that'd have to be in the 1932 kind of record area at the time of the trade deadline. So uh, I can't see it ever becoming like that. Things, as we said, are improving rather than getting worse. Uh, as for the general trade deadline, yeah, they need to... Um, they need to be buyers as, as best realistically possible. Hard to buy without assets necessarily, but they'll have to uh, they'll have to try. Um, they're not all in, but given the George situation, they are. Um, well, they're going to have to be continue to be buyers in order to uh, to figure this out. If they sell George, they've definitely lost. If they keep him, they might. So that's not really a risk worth taking. George is, um, of course, the kind of player that they're not going to get again. The Lakers or whoever in free agency threat is very, very, very real, but they took him on knowing that. So they need to um, they need to shore up the roster elsewhere where they can. That means uh, improving. Uh, well, they've lost their strength of being tremendous rebounders, for example. Now they're all right, middle of the pack, slightly upper half. They lost that when they lost Ennis Cantor, and they need to improve defensively. If they can improve their shooting and the always desired two-way players rather than Kyle Singler kind of depth, that would be great. Um, either way, they do need to, I think, continue to buy. To be sellers at the deadline, things would have to be a lot worse than they are now. Like, like you said, they are bad in clutch situations. If they were good in clutch situations, they'd be a decent. Te- they'd be a pretty good team. Right now, they're a decent team. They could be pretty good. What's their Pythagorean th- win expected win total? It's not bad, is it? It's about a 65 percent win record. So. Mm-hmm. There are tweaks there rather than a need to sell. I can't imagine them selling. I wouldn't expect them to sell. I wouldn't want them to sell. I'm not sure what they should buy, but I don't think they should sell on George in particular. I have a name that could be interesting. Justin Holiday. Ooh. All right. I think he's a very good fit on the team as long as he goes mm. back to he used to be and stops shooting on every drive. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. That's the kind of area they should go down. I think there's someone, if they had someone like, uh, I'm not saying this name is available or should be or realistic, but I think if they had someone like Larry Nance, uh, mm. he's not the, the wing solution that you'd want, but if you've got him, for example, 
again, this also won't happen. We're pipe dreaming here, guys. It's fine. Right. It's, it's only a podcast. You start him, you have Carmelo's your sixth man. Suddenly, I am, I'm distinctly worried about that team, even with Roberson in the lineup. Mm, yeah. I don't know how they get someone like that. They haven't the money, the trade assets. But that would that would be the pipe dream, that sort of thing. Hmm. Yeah. That. I, I mean, I'm with you overall, Mark, that they should not... I can't see them, especially given how easy their schedule is between now and the trade deadline, hitting such a stretch where they are, as you said, 19 and 32, and they're just like abandon all hope. I think, you know, that yeah, it's not, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Yeah, it, it seems like they'll be they're they're going to keep George through the end of the year for better or worse, and we'll see what happens next July. I mean, I I just think you made that like Russell Westbrook made that commitment to you by signing that extension. If you turn around and trade. Paul George, he's going to, I can't imagine he will take kindly to that. Let's actually, it's a good way to transition because we need to talk about George Hill and the Sacramento Kings. And apparently, according to Tony Jones of the Salt Lake Tribune, George Hill is mad because the Kings, they brought him in, they signed Zach Randolph and Vince Carter this offseason, and they apparently... They were brought in with the promise of a team aiming to be playoff competitive, according to Jones. That, however, was made by Scott Perry, who then left Sacramento to become the Knicks general manager. So now, since Perry left, the Kings are back to being the Sacramento Kings, and they are not as intent on being competitive as they allegedly were at the start of July. Deeks do you think Hill is justified in being upset here? Um, somewhat. I don't know if this is a question about competitiveness. They didn't sign George Hill to compete. No one ever put Sacramento, excuse me. Jesus, I'm getting old. No one ever put Sacramento in the competitive bracket, be it for the playoffs, let alone anything else. So I guess they could, some talks about possibly sneaking in at the end. That's not competitiveness, though. George Hill... And Zach Randolph and keeping Garrett Temple. It was never about competitiveness. It was about internal growth. Mm-hmm. So I was uh, I was very much for the signing. It hasn't worked out on account of uh, Hill himself not playing well and the uh, the infrastructure team based reasons why that's been the case. He's been very much in a state of flux. But the point of the signings was <clears throat> excuse me was to uh, stimulate internal growth. You cannot have youth everywhere else on the team and a roster absolutely replete with young players like they do and have them learn together and only together. It's not going to work. They're not going to learn properly. A scala Sierra is not going to properly learn how to run the pick and pop if the person, if the point guard can't find him there. And if the point guards themselves are all young and learning, no one's going to learn optimally. There's a reason we're talking here about George Hill in particular and not about Sacramento Kings veterans. Zach Randolph is having an old man redux. He's playing very well at times. And as for the internal growth, they are experiencing it. Um, I believe there's something like 500 over the last 10, 12 games. Now, that's that's far from competitiveness, but considering the way they started out the year, that is internal growth, and that's what this is about. You cannot just keep sitting on youth and um, assets, he says in quotation fingers. You can't keep just sitting on that. You can't just keep tanking and treading water you want to see a cultural shift in Sacramento, yet you don't want to win. You want to keep tanking until you get an elite pick. It's fair to say that uh, 
the quant the qual sorry the quantity of youth in Sacramento may outweigh the quality of it. The Aaron Fox has a chance at stardom, others not so much, but there is nonetheless a lot of youth there. When do you have commit to say, all right, we're going to see where we've got with this? How do you stimulate this cultural shift? If you never try and take a step forward, if you want to tread water, I generally hate tanking and I appreciate the ugly necessities of it. But why? Why do you tank? When do you tank? At what point do you say we need to start doing something here? Because otherwise we talk about how in the Ranadive era, the kings are a byword for mismanagement and floundering. Well, you have to own that and you have to start to improve on that. Signing George Hill and Zach Randolph and Vince Carter, that hasn't really worked out. That is a way of saying, okay, well, we need we need to learn some lessons here. We're not going to be competitive, but we have to grow. We have to start a process of trying to grow. And they have. It's been the most variable rotation and random decisions in the starting lineup of any team in the league, I believe. At the same time, there is something of a balance there, and there are some players starting to come through. There's also a lot of room for internal growth still left. Jackson hasn't done much. LeBissier is having a bit of a sophomore slump. Even despite those uh, slow starts, the Kings are making improvements. There's a ridiculously long way to go, and I appreciate why Hill is upset. At the same time, he must have known what he signed up for. I don't think he was sold a lie here. I'm going only on the um, on the same stories that we've all read, but he wasn't sold down the promised land. Yeah, we're going to be competitive. They may have been a bit worse than Perry, Hill, and indeed everyone anticipated, but he wasn't here to compete. He was here to uh, get minutes, to get a big payday, to be a steadying hand and a quality guard um, for a young team that needs quality players. He hasn't been that. He's been pretty poor, to be honest. But I don't think that's some seismic shift in King's policy or direction. I think that just speaks to the limitations that they have. He's 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 right. I understand why he's annoyed. I won't say he's right to be annoyed. But I don't think the Kings are as far off of their plan as they intended to be. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you in thinking. He, I, I mean, if they promised him that they were genuinely going to compete for the playoffs, he needed to take one look at that roster and realize that. Was yeah, and then, the, we, like, so we, we run the risk of that being uh, the way this story is interpreted. It's not like they said, "Yeah, we're good, well, George. We're going to compete. We're going to be buyers on the trade market." Of course, they bloody weren't, but they wanted to improve. They wanted to try and win each game they play in, knowing that a talent disparity, mm-hmm. whilst they wait for the internal uh, youth to grow, would necessitate they lost anyway. They, they, they sold him on trying to win each individual game. Yeah, fine. Are they not trying to do that, though? It seems to me like they are. You, you could pick nits with their rotation. As you alluded to, Scal in particular has not played all that much. He was actually recently assigned to the G League briefly. Um, but as you said, Zebo is having an unbelievable year. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it feels like part of this really just might be George Hill is not playing up to expectations, especially after signing that big contract. But also, like, he needed to look at the roster as well. Like, they just drafted De'Aaron Fox. George Hill was not... They didn't sign George Hill to be their point guard of the future. They signed him to be that kind of veteran mentor and help them not completely tank this year, but, like, help groom De'Aaron Fox to be that point guard of the future. Uh, Where do you stand on all of this? Are you... Are you Team Hill? Are you Team Kings? Or do you think there's some uh, gray area in the middle? Gray area, <clears throat> area <clears throat> for sure. Because 
like like Mark said, you can't have too much youth at the same time. I mean, if you're not going to grow it, then what's the point? Like during the summer when Hill was signed, we loved it. Like you, me, and Sarah, we talked at length about this, mm-hmm. and, and we were we were arguing: is there a better? <clears throat> my apologies. Um, is there a better mentor for De'Aaron Fox in a guy like George Hill who can play both ends of the court, is a willing passer, willing shooter, you know, or a strong shooter, I should say. And we just love the fit. And now we're sort of learning that he feels that he was signed under, I don't want to say false pretenses, but at least the situation has changed and mm-hmm. he isn't comfortable with that. Well, that's one thing. What the Kings are doing right now, if I think they went into the whole the whole season with the right mindset. They had a lot of youth, and they said, you know, let's spend the money on older guys who can come in, have some some years where they teach and where they produce, and if we win, we win. If we don't, then there's a high draft pick coming, but at least the kids are, are learning. So I like the approach, and the fact that it's... I don't even want to say it's failed. I mean, the results have, have failed, and now we have a potentially pissed-off George Hill, which in itself is a problem, but... Um, the mindset of how they went into a, to the whole thing is something that can be applauded. How they get out of this situation and how they find the best way to sort of uh, relax George about his his future in the club or whether they're going to trade him, or that remains to be seen. I mean, February is, is a long time off. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not sure, honestly, where I stand on the whole thing. The Kings just seem to be doing what they feel is right and i can't fault them because there's logic to what they believe in right like i can't imagine they promised him we're gonna sign you for whatever 19 million a year and you're gonna play 35 minutes a game and you're gonna be our star like i I, i'm assuming they were probably pretty upfront and said like we want De'Aaron fox to be our franchise point guard like maybe you'll start the season playing huge number of minutes but as De'Aaron gets more comfortable your minutes may go down as the year goes on. Maybe if or you get slits of the two. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, they just Mark, as you said, they have they have a lot of players who are deserving of minutes at least to see whether or not they are legit rotation players. Like we don't. A lot of these guys are just such question marks that we don't know enough about them. But like they have ten guys who I think you know at least. I'm not upset when I see them on the court. I understand why they're playing minutes and what they're, you know, they're trying to figure out whether these guys are worth keeping or whether they're, you know, just they're going to wash out of the league or they they don't belong in part of the long-term future of the Kings. So I understand George Hill being frustrated that he's 31 and he's on a team that's what 9 and 19. Like that sucks. You're wasting you know, a year of the tail end of your prime on a team that's not going to make the playoffs, but it seems to be misplaced anger to me. Like if you're, again, I I just feel like he had to know, like when's the last time the Kings made the playoffs or even were competitive. Like he had to know what he was signing up for. Well, um, Hill's whole ethos, what he does when he's playing well is he picks the spots in a cohesive offensive unit. He's the most, well, he's very unconventional point guards in that he's more about off-ball cuts than work on the ball. So for him to thrive mm-hmm. relies upon a, um, a good offensive unit, a good team around him, st- strong and stable in the words of our Prime Minister, who know what they're doing. Now, if you go to a rebuilding team, which the Kings are, that's not as easy to come by. The Kings in particular haven't been particularly disjointed for a while. 
that uh, that's would seemingly run against that in Hill's case. Um, nevertheless, he chose to do so. Pay was a factor. Yeah, they've paid him quite nicely. He's not overpaid if he's uh, for a, if he was fully healthy every year, but he's not. So he's, they've been a little generous with the money, and that's okay. Either way, he's come knowing that he's come to a non not cohesive unit where he's not looked at for the future, and that's fine because that's what he signed up to. Um, so he hasn't succeeded on the court with that in mind. Um, but that's that's the risk he took. I mean, hypothetically, I don't know whether this was on the table for him or not, but why didn't he take Darren Collison's role and money in Indiana? That would be a particularly sweet gig right mm-hmm. now with the paces uh, going on quite nicely. He chose this, and that's okay. And I have no idea, of course, what it's like behind the scenes, if there's a reason why he's annoyed that we don't know about. But mm-hmm. I don't think things are bad in Sacramento. It's not pretty at times. There's been some spectacular losses, some reasons to assume that some of the young players aren't growing the way that they should. But that roster in general is full of good young pieces and quality vets. Hill should be one of Hill is one of those. He's not as quality as he may have been billed as coming in this year, but Hill is a quality vet. Uh, I'll tell you what, actually, gentlemen, thinking about it uh, right here, right now, it wouldn't look bad on the Thunder, would he? Not quite sure how we're going to string those two thoughts together and create a trade package, mm-hmm. but yeah, Hill is a sixth man <laughs> instead of Ray Felton would be nice. Anyway, so, yes, I don't think anyone's lost out here necessarily. And even if um, Hill really does want to go, there'll be a trade market for him. The Kings want to be sellers, uh, timely sellers anyway. So I don't see this as a lost loss. It's just an awkward compromise for a while. I'd agree with that. Especially, I've, I want to say the third year of his contract, DX, you would know better than I. It's either partially guaranteed or not guaranteed at all. Top of my head, I agree with you. Yeah, so I think there will be flexibility there for a team that doesn't mind taking on salary for next year and wants flexibility for 2019, which is when a lot of the bad contracts for 2016 are going to start coming off the books. One million guaranteed until Monday, July 1st, 2019. Okay, there you go. So yeah, that's, that's nothing. Now that we have two former Bulls fans on the podcast, we got to move into... To one one actual Bulls topic and one tangentially related Bulls topic. Let's start with the tangentially related one. Tom Thibodeau in Minnesota. His minutes distribution of late has started to get some more attention. Kevin O'Connor on a podcast. Uh, I think he recently said they just need to fire Tibbs straight up because he's running his players into the ground. I want to read out their the minutes distribution for their starting lineup at least. So Jimmy Butler... 37.3 minutes, second in the league. Andrew Wiggins, 36.9, eighth in the league. Carl Anthony Towns, 35.4, 15th in the league. Jeff Teague's 30th with 34.1. Taj Gibson is 42nd with 33.1. As far as I can tell, they're the only team in the NBA where all five of their starters are playing above 33 minutes and all five of their starters are within the top 50 in minutes played per game. Guys, as we know, even dating back to his time in Chicago, this was a storyline that followed him. It reportedly contributed to his demise there, especially with Joakim Noah. Uh, I think it was the 2014-15 season, if memory serves right, where Noah was banged up a lot. The (laughs) guard packs tried to put a minutes limit on him. Tibbs bristled against that. It turned contentious and kind of all the acrimony behind the scenes bubbled to the surface. 
Mort, I know in the past you have railed against the narrative that, you know, Tibbs overplays the starters and, you know, he's just doing what he needs to do to win games and whatever he deems best is fine. Are you still in that camp seeing what he's doing in Minnesota? Well, let's put some context into it. I, what I said was more along the lines of given that the team that he has, mm-hmm. or he had back in Chicago, he was sort of handcuffed because he did not have the necessary pieces to really go all that deep. Mm-hmm. And I argued that given that he now was uh, had uh, personnel control in Minnesota, that that would change. So far, it hasn't. So you have to ask the question, has Tip the coach failed or has Tip's the executive failed? Mm-hmm. Has he just not acquired the pieces necessary to to give those guys off the bench a bigger opportunity? Mm-hmm. You could argue Gorgie Jang would be uh, inclined to get more minutes. He played 32 and a half off the top of my head last year. Mm-hmm. So Tips apparently trusted him last year because of lack of alternatives. But now he's at 17.7, which is a ridiculous <laughs> short amount. And given that Taj Gibson is probably the one guy I would not play that many minutes, part, partially because of age, then it does seem like that he's failed a little bit as a coach this year. Um, either way, it's too many minutes for, for the main guys, and they are in the playoffs, and they're in the playoffs right now. Um, let's see what it says in the end of the season, but going into the postseason with, with shot legs is just not an, an, a situation tips want to be in specifically. And I'm not sure what he's trying to achieve here. Not mm-hmm. at all. It's it's a problem. Whether it's a straight-up firing problem, I'm <laughs> not there yet. Right. I think that's just a little bit too clickbaity by, yeah. by Kev. But, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's not pretty. Yeah, I, I agree that it is not a fireable offense right now. But, as you said, he's the executive now. So, mm-hmm. you know, in Chicago, at least, he could blame Garpax for not giving him... Right a bench he can depend upon now he has to blame himself and as you said jang his minutes have basically been halved this year i thought when they signed jamal crawford he was going to play more of a role off the bench than he is he's only at 17.7 minutes as well and aside from that you know tyus jones at 17.1 shabazz muhammad appears to have fallen in the doghouse and there's like nothing else there bielik is hurt i believe so maybe when he comes back that gives him one more option, but Deeks, where do you stand on Tibbs' minute distribution right now? It's not that bad of a bench. I mean, the reason no one stands out on the bench is because no one plays. Right. Bielitsa, in particular, he's alright, you know? Morton was just talking about playing less Taj, more Jeng. More Bielitsa, for my money, he's alright, he's, he's fine. Yeah. You know, um, in terms of Tibbs' minute distributions, he talks about how he... Uh, could blame Garpax back in Chicago. Well, he's not looking for blame because he doesn't see there as being a problem. Why would you blame people if nothing's wrong? It's it's a mentality that he has. It's not news. It's it's kind of old school, kind of stubborn. It just needs to be ten percent less for everybody. Wiggins is playing thirty six point nine minutes. He's not playing him very well. Why is he not playing thirty one, thirty two? Uh, he may be fresher, maybe better. Right now, he's not doing very well out there. Why are they playing him so much? Okay, so. In theory, you could say the limitations and the shot-happy nature of Shibaz Mohammed's game in that particular instance could be partly why. Fine. But maybe Shibaz wouldn't need to prove himself so much if he had a bit more confidence that he'd play more. It's a chicken-and-egg situation. 
Crawford's looking a bit old, okay. Um, Jeng, uh, yes, Tibbs gave him a lot of minutes last year, but that was more due to necessity than confidence, due to his own lack of mm. belief in Bielitsa in particular. But what about Tyus Jones? In the four games that Jeff Teague was out, Tyus Jones was really good. Uh, he was. Mm, mm. So why has he gone back to such a minimalist role? Teague's fine. He's a decent player, but he, he's not a... Th- well, he could be a 34-minute-per-game player, but you don't need to if you get a quality backup, which it looks like they can do in Jones. Tibbs is just... He doesn't want to change it. It, it. it boils down as simply as that. It's not a question of blame because there's no blame if there's not a problem. And to Tibbs, there's not a problem. Someone told me a story after um, Chicago signed Pau Gasol. Tibbs was extremely excited um, because he was like, oh, yes, right, okay, now I'm going to play them all until the eighth minute. Then I'm going to take out Pau. Then I'm going to bring in the next person in the fourth minute, fourth minute, four minutes through the second quarter. It was all militaristically planned in a way that doesn't follow the free-flowing organic nature of basketball and its rotations. That's just the way he views it, apparently, so I'm told. Now, um, I doubt that will have changed in a couple of years hence, so I imagine that's still true. All he needs to do is nuance it slightly. If he wants to be a front-five, back-up-five kind of guy, as opposed to the more free-flowing rotations that we see in the league these days, that's fine, I guess. And it, it does at least mean... His strongest five is playing together a lot more, which, as we talked about in our Thunder discussion, is something that does need to happen. But just shave 10% off it, mate. Just be, like, a little bit less for everybody. Butler, 37, make it 34, 33. He's your best player. You want to play him, of course, but just shave that little bit off it. Because the very real risk, which we've seen happen, is what happened to Luol Deng, who, as a British man, you can tell from the accent, I'm a little bit biased towards. (laughs) Regrettably... Um, there's nothing left. There's nothing left there anymore because of the massive NBA minutes he played, especially when playing through injuries. His international commitments as well, to be fair. Um, he's now pretty done. He he can't get a minute for the Lakers. When he does, he's a shell of himself. I'm not saying that Tibbs is responsible for long Luol Deng's career. Certainly, each case is different. Some players can play extremely long periods of time for a ridiculous amount of time. But we don't know that these players are that. So why are we running that risk? Why... Are, uh, but Butler and Wiggins in particular on the wing playing so damn much why is T playing so much when his backup's okay if you want the bench to be better then you need to trust what's already there a little bit more because then it will be better and that's something that comes down to him and him alone as a coach yeah I mean I don't know I, I don't know if this is because of the minutes but I think it's at least noteworthy that in the fourth quarter Minnesota has the worst net rating in the league, minus 11.3. So is that because their guys are getting tired and they're just gassed at the end of games? Like their defense in the fourth quarter, they're allowing 114.5 possessions or points per 100 possessions. Again, worst in the league. And well, you know, it, they played. Sorry, it might be, it might not be, but either way, why wouldn't you find out? Why wouldn't you give it 10% right. less and then see if you are fresher? That's the kind of experimentation that regular season is for. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was watching them against the Sixers the other night, and then they went to overtime, and it just looked like, I mean, the Sixers also couldn't stop them on the other end, especially toward the end of the fourth quarter, but the Sixers, you know, they were getting whatever they wanted. I think they scored not on every possession, but it felt like they could score on every possession, basically. Like, it just seemed like they had run out of gas. And, you know, we, the whole NBA has trended toward fewer minutes for the starters, more minutes for the bench, more planned out rest. We're trying to avoid overuse injuries. And Deeks, as you said, you know, these guys are young. I mean, 
Wiggins and Towns are both 22, but Butler, Teague, and Gibson are not young. They're 28, 29, 32. And, like, Towns, I thought it was really interesting. He was on the J.J. Redick podcast this week, and J.J. asked him about this minutes distribution. It was ironically before the uh, the Wolves-Sixers game. But so Towns said, you know, you know, he's short-term, he's 22 years old, he's young, he's eager to play all the time. Um, he wants to be on the court as much as possible. But then he said, for me, long-term, is it probably the smartest thing? No. So it seems like they're aware that, you know, this could come back to bite them at some point, but because they're young and because they're winning and this is really their first taste of being a competitive playoff caliber team, maybe they're just putting that in the back of their minds. But it does, it strikes me as the like the the big concern if I'm a Minnesota fan right now, like, my team is gelling. They're playing well. Jimmy Butler, you know, he shook off his kind of slow start to the year. He's bawling his mind out right now. They look competitive. They look like they'll put up a legit fight in the playoffs if they have their legs under them. But there is a real risk come, you know, mid-April that they're just, they're gassed. Like, they might just not have anything left in the tank. So The, the good news, of course, being here that old men are always inclined for change and Tibbs is about to turn 60. So yeah. <laughs> Right, yeah. As Donald Trump has proved, you can really change someone in his older years. Yeah, you just compared tips to Trump. You, that that <laughs> that's it's not good news. Did you just? Right. By the way, did you say that Morton was a former Chicago Bulls fan? I sure did. What happened there, man? Oh, you haven't been following along. I quit them in January. It's <laughs> almost a year ago. Did you did you do that kind of? You can't find me. I quit. Massive flounce off, or did you just sort of slowly peter out? What happened there? Tell me. Tell me a story. Yeah, Make one up I, if you need to. No, a co- combination of the two, actually. Uh, I just I, I couldn't get behind that uh, the, the lack of transparency in that front office anymore, and the fact that they just consistently spoke down to the intelligence level of of their fans, and then at the same time, whenever I put a Bulls game on, I just found myself not engaged with it at all. Like I would just do everything else, but if I put like a Houston game or whatever that was all else on, I was glued to the screen. So it was it was a combination of the two. You know what transparency? So not, you know what transparency looks like. Transparency is your star big man going on a podcast and saying, "Yeah, I should be playing less." So you know, <laughs> transparency ain't that great. Yeah. To be fair, that yes, I get that the Bulls have that little bit of a conniving vibe to them, but they're playing the game. So anyway, I just didn't know. I didn't realize you had um, you know sworn off your very soul in that way. Well done, good move. Yeah, it's yeah. very liberating. No, it's very I, liberating. Hey, not having team biases. It's very, very, very liberating. It is. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. It, it is. I mean, it's been an adjustment. We still talk about it a lot on the podcast because mm-hmm. there's always going to be like uh, some residue, I want to say, <laughs> from it. But it, it gets it gets a little bit easier. I know you took the leap, what, five, six years ago? Yeah, but I wasn't doing it because I was like, I'm done with him for some moralistic reason or, or any other reason All related right, to yeah. specifically. I just found it a much more sensible decision from a professional point of view to forego any mm. team-specific biases because then it creeps into your analysis without realising. Um, right, yeah. I agree. So your way sounds more dramatic and flouncy, but then, you know, that's... that's <laughs> well, I, I am Danish. We're all about dr- drama. But that speaks <laughs> to the differences between us as people. I, of course, famously stoic, unemotional, um, passionless, uh, <laughs> and I've lied to you just there. Yeah. This is a, that's really... I've never had more perfect of a transition on this podcast than to go in and talk about your former Bulls, Mort.
they lost. I mean, we we've really resolved. We we resolved at the beginning of the year. We thought they were going to be such shit that we were just not going to talk about them the whole year. And you know, come April, we could discuss them once you know we're in the Luka Doncic discussions. But they were three and twenty on December sixth. Nico Miritich returned against the Charlotte Hornets, and they have ripped off five straight wins, including a twenty-three point thrashing of the Boston Celtics, and then on Friday, a six-point road win against the Milwaukee Bucks. Mort, what has gotten into your Bulls? Is it just Nico, or is there something else going on here? See, you keep saying your Bulls <laughs> yeah. is what keeps the residue active. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, Nico, yeah, Nico returned, and Nico did all the the change, really. He's come in just looking ex- excellent. 20 points a game and I think 20, let me just look at numbers. Yeah, 20 points a game in 26.2 minutes a night, stroking from the outside, getting to the line a lot more, rebounding well in limited minutes. But it, it's been more of a a growth pattern as well. Like We, we talked about growth in Sacramento. There's been uh, a bit of it in Chicago as well. Like Chris Dunn was... Mm-hmm is a lot better now than he was in Minnesota a year ago. He's sort of uh, gone against conventional wisdom. The people were kind of writing him off, myself included, that if you are of that age and you had that poor of a rookie season, there's no way you're going to bounce back. And and it seems that more and more players are trying to bucking that trend now. Jimmy Butler did it as well uh, some years ago. And, you know, he's been looking good, downright good on occasion, yeah. And now Nico's back. He's older. He's kind of like the the what what Laurie Markkinen should be in a couple of years in terms of where he is as a human being, uh, mentally and on the court. Like <laughs> when it comes to self confidence. And Bobby Portis, I don't know where that came from. He just mm-hmm. I think he started giving a crap really yeah. because he was too much in, in in his own in his own head at times. And he and that, I guess that's not not giving a crap, but he was just. He was overthinking everything in years prior, and, and this year, maybe because of all that drama, he was able to kind of streamline his mindset and just come into the season and go, you know what, I've heard everything from the media now, now I'm just going to focus on basketball, and it works. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure, but either way, over the last five games, it's worked for him, and I'm just expecting any minute now that Gar Foreman is going to call for a press conference and say, you know what, we're going to go for it, eight seed, baby, <laughs> hashtag C-Red. <laughs> I mean, I'm legit nervous because the Bulls play the Sixers on Monday, which is my 30th birthday, and I'm I'm expecting at this point. Oh, yeah, I'm that's a birthday loss, right there. Yeah, I'm expecting to go to bed that night very sad that the Bulls beat the Sixers. Uh, Deeks, I want to ask you this because I asked this to Mort before we started recording, and I want to get your take. So you know, I think actually the last time you were on this podcast was to react to Jimmy Butler trade. And at the time, we all shit on it for obvious reasons, just like, you know, when we had the Oladipo trade, or Paul George trade, I should say, all of us made fun of Indiana. And then, you know, now, with the benefit of hindsight, Oladipo's balling out, Sabonis is balling out, that trade doesn't look as bad in retrospect. Let's go to the Bulls. You know, Chris Dunn's playing, as Mort said, he's playing much better than he was uh, in Minnesota. Lawyer Markinen, the number seven pick, has been playing extremely well. I wouldn't he's not gonna be in like the top three of rookie of the year race, but you know, he he's gonna get some fringe votes potentially, at least as a top five candidate. We don't know what Zach Levine has you know, he still has not made his return. It sounds like he's gonna be back in early January. 
So that's, that's really the big piece. I guess we need to see what he does. But given all that you've seen from Dunn and Markinen, at least, does the Butler trade at least look a little better in retrospect than it did back on whatever January or June 20th or whenever it happened? Am I the oldest one here? Is that what I just learned? I am the oldest person. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Man, it just <laughs> yep. keeps sneaking up on you, didn't it? Happy birthday, Brian. Okay, so Thank you. the Bulls, Morton's Bulls, sorry, give them their full title. We're never yep. going to be that shit. <laughs> just, I'm putting it out there. They were never going to be as shit as people thought. Look, the NBA, for all the skill involved, is a game of athleticism. Uh, you can have a subpar athlete on your team. You can have two, but you can't play too many at the same time. And that's what Chicago were doing. Without Dunn, they were playing Jerry and Grant, who's well, fine as an athlete. But he can't quickly turn the corner. He can't break down the defense. He does what he does. He's a good backup point guard and spot, spot starter sorry, on a good team, which Morton's balls aren't. But um, he's, he's, he couldn't break or shift the defense. Nor can Denzel Valentine. And uh, Lord knows we've seen him try. Uh, they were also playing far too many minutes. They had to. I don't fault them for it. But had minutes to Quincy Pondexter, who's not an athlete anymore. Cristiano Felicio, who never was. They looked shit because they were playing uh, non-NBA athletes uh, far too far, far too much of the time. And those that were NBA athletes were not um, were not as as talented. Now that players have returned from injury, they look all right. And the reason they look all right is because they're dynamic. We talk about the importance of uh, face-up four men. Four men who not just stand there and Steve Novak it out there, but they're also able to, to dribble and, and uh, find space with and without the ball, get to the basket and shoot from outside. Chicago's got three, right? Who else has got three? They've got Miritich, Portis, Portis and Markkinen. I love Portis. He's great. It's not like this is completely unprecedented for him. He ended last year a bit like this. He's great fun. Look how much fun he's having. Yeah, I get that he wants to dribble it up all the time. But how good's that on a, on a rebuilding team? You want to try, man. You want to try and be good. It's, he's so maligned in particular Portis because of his tendency to just stand there defensively. But he's great fun. He's great fun. And his return was key to the balls. Now, Miritich has helped because he's playing extremely well because he's playing for his new team, whoever it be. Uh, he's got Felicio out the rotation, and Felicio ain't helping anybody anymore. But Portis, I think, was a huge um, uh, infusion of talent in the team, the right kind of talent, athletic talent. He cares, he shoots, he drives. And then, of course, there's Chris Dunn. Now, it is not without its, uh, its failings. He still turns it over far too much. And although he's doing all right as a jump shooter, that form is not inspiring me at all. But... What a transition it is. What a difference it is to have him in the game. Partly because you're getting uh, Felder and the rare and special sightings of Ryan Archie Diakono out of the team. But also because he can get to the basket off the dribble. And that opens up now the transition game, the semi-transition game. He can attack downhill and make things happen in a way that Grant can't. The Bulls were never destined to be that bad. Now, feel free to go back, pick over the tape, and make me look like a hypocritical fool that I am. But the thing with the Butler deal was never the trading of Butler, and it wasn't yeah. the Levine and Dunn and the seven-pick return. The, the issue yeah. with the Butler trade, as I saw it, was two things. Firstly, the inclusion of the number 16, which I didn't think was necessary. Mm. It's been made to look better by the fact that the 16 was used on Justin Patton, who hasn't played yet, but you know it didn't have to be used on Patton. And even though it is, you know, give him time, it's only been 27 games and he's been injured. 
Um, but the other issue was the choice of marketing. I, I believe I described it as he was a seventh player in a six-player draft. Yeah. Well, that one's easily yeah. solved because uh, he's better than I thought he was. Simple as. So fair play. That's um, because the Bulls are really bad at controlling the narrative, which is why Morton went off them. Um, they <laughs> they allowed this uh, this story to get out, whereby they weren't looking at the top of the draft because they weren't going to trade Butler. Then mm. they did have to suddenly draft someone, and then they chose Markkinen. What that did, because they don't control the narrative well, is it made it sound like it was a panic pick and they didn't do their research. I suppose it's theoretically possible that that's still true. But regardless of whether it is or isn't or not, Markkinen is a good player. He's imperfect yeah. right now, but he's he's a good player on both ends of the court. He looks extremely good at times, to be honest with you. He looks incredibly versatile and talented. More so than I thought he was. Fair play. Didn't see him enough. Let me lesson. So yeah, the Butler deal does look better. Mostly because of marketing. Mostly because Dunn's absence at the start of the year makes it evident how how refreshing he was once he came along. Um, and yeah, in, in total, it's not looking like a bad haul. I still don't think they should have included the 16. But considering Zach Levine is still to come, yeah, good deal. The questions about whether the deal needed to be made and whether they'd be better keeping Butler uh, going forward because he's still going to be a better player, I think, than any of the three that they received back will ever be. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's still a valid question. But once a decision to make was made to make the trade, made an all right one. Yeah, I, I think even back back in that June episode, people can go back and fact check this. But I, I remember you saying, and all of us agreeing, that the inclusion of number 16 was the truly egregious part of that trade. Like if it was just done, Levine, number seven for Butler... I don't think any of us would have hated it as much as we did. Right. right. Well, well, well um, so when you see, when you see egregious, it's, I think it's um, somewhat egregious in the sense that I don't think it would have been a deal breaker. I say that from naivety on the outside, but I can't imagine Minnesota mm-hmm. not doing the deal because of it. Um, I don't know if it was the the that they leveraged it enough, or you know whether there was competing offers elsewhere. But the sixteenth pick should be the fifth best player in a five player deal there. Butler, Levine, Dunn, and Markkinen should and are all better than that 16th pick. So perhaps we overfocused, perhaps I particularly overfocused. I don't know. I look at things from a market value point of view. That's just what I do because right. I'm a loser with no friends. But I, <laughs> I, I, that shouldn't be the main takeaway. That should be the fifth best player of five. And it looks like it's going to be with Markkinen starting as well as he has and Chris Dunn figuring out the NBA offense. So, yeah. But as you said, it didn't have to be Patton. Like, it could have been John Collins. It could have been... It should have been John Collins. He's great. Right. So, like... Or you could have have used the pick, like I mentioned a couple, to trade up, I mean, for Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. Okay, Morton, we get it. You were right about Mitchell. Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. I I, I want the acknowledgement for that one. No, but uh, look, to, to go back on a serious note, I think the whole perception of Chicago's uh Jimmy Butler trade was just further compounded by the fact that they traded uh the the, the Jordan Bell pick yeah. to to Golden State it was like it it became like a one thing and and not two isolated trades and mm-hmm. that's also wrong because people were well I think it's fair to say that they were rightly pissed and rightfully so because that was just a bad deal not because it was Jordan Bell specifically but when you're rebuilding you don't you don't give up draft picks <laughs> in that sense yeah, it was don't just sell a them. bad way Right. And so I think that trade was kind of adding salt to the wound of Bulls fans losing Jimmy Butler and then the narrative just spun away from him. So, mm-hmm. 
that's you, you have to look at the two things, you know, in isolation. The Jimmy Butler trade specifically, I, I think, was better than the Jordan Bell trade when you look at it from a value point of view because that money could have been saved. You just have not picked up Cameron Payne's option, for example. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we don't know what the whole deal is going to look like. We don't know what Justin Patton is going to look like. But I'm looking over the trade now. It's like, it's okay. It's not a home run for the Bulls, but it's fine. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with the deal right now. You have to pick. Yeah. You have to pick up Payne's option. Um, I don't think there's any, a problem there whatsoever. I appreciate how bad he looked for a calendar year, but uh, you know who else did? Chris Dunn. There was enough in Payne before yeah. in his rookie year and his time at Murray State to think that he could be an NBA caliber backup point guard, and that's worth taking the risk on. As for Bell, it was and is a bad deal by any objective measure other than financial. But if ownership tells you to do it, what are you going to do? I still think they probably could have right. got um, a second round in addition to the cash from Golden State because Lord knows it's a massive improvement on the quality of their usual second rounder. But wherever it's happened now, I suppose, it was ugly. And as with everything to do with Chicago, um, the narratives are ugly. They get away from them. And it was a bit hypocritical in light of what they said previously about finally choosing a direction. It was ugly. That said, whatever. It wasn't a bad off season. You know, and they have chosen a direction and they got some good talent. And the main thing to take away here is how great Bobby Portis is. He's awesome. I love Bobby Portis. He's great fun. Yeah, as long as he doesn't punch a teammate in the face again. I, I asked this question now because I think, you know, we can evaluate it again in three months when Levine comes back. A lot of it will come down to next summer too. Like what contract Levine gets either from the Bulls? Do they, do they make him an offer that he doesn't turn down or do they tell him to test the market and does he find god forbid does he find a max offer sheet from someone so you know we're i i think ideally the dwight howard trade would have taught us this years ago like the team that trades a superstar often looks like the biggest loser right away but then fast forward a year and oftentimes either the trade looks a lot better than it did at the time, or sometimes like for the Dwight Howard trade, Orlando's the clear winner because they're the only ones who got anything of longstanding value out of that. So, you know, the Paul George trade again, Indiana's looking better than they did six months ago. The Bulls are looking better than they did six months ago for the Jimmy Butler trade, but we're not going to be able to fully evaluate the Jimmy Butler trade until we see Levine on the court. What contract Levine signs next, as you guys said, what Justin Patton turns into, whether Butler leaves Minnesota in 2019. Like, these trades take years to fully develop. So we're not going to stop. Like, I, you know, it, this is just part of the industry is this instant reaction to trades. And it's fun to talk about because it's it's fun to, like, theorize, well, who, you know, who screwed up? But we should always leave more margin for error, I guess. We should always, you know, account for the fact that, like, hey, maybe – Maybe a Victor Oladipo was mediocre in OKC, but when he moves and gets a featured role in Indiana, maybe he's going to thrive. Like, maybe Chris Dunn sucked in Minnesota last year, but maybe if he turns into a starting point guard, he can be average to above average. Like, it's... Well, I that's there's the, the Fred Hoiberg factor as well. I don't think people had a belief that Fred could turn him into a good player. Mm-hmm. And obviously like that narrative has to change. Well, obviously a lot of us is coming on Dunn's own game and his own development, but I 
can't imagine him succeeding to this extent if not for like positive adjustments for Coach Hoiberg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, trades are supposed to be win-win. Remember, let's let's not lose sight of that. We talk about who wins trades. Mm. It's supposed to be each team wins each trade every time. Otherwise, there's no point making it. We might be looking at yeah. one here, and that's uh, that's to be celebrated. Now. Yeah, a trade evaluation is a fluid document. You do it constantly until all the ramifications have played themselves out, which, as you say, can take years. There are short, medium and long-term goals. In the short term, both teams have got what they wanted. Minnesota has got a fantastically good player for pieces that they could and are doing without. And Chicago has a jump-started rebuild that they finally got started on. That's a win-win. Despite our nuances about the egregiousness of the 16 and whatever else, that is a win-win. So maybe we should just be happy that that's what's happened. Uh, you know, there's just one final note about the Bulls and one thing that um, is, is becoming typical of fans as well, not giving them uh, due credit for his, for picking up good guys. Like, David Nwaba has looked yeah. great. Mm-hmm. He's really looked great. And, and, you know, people have more or less just kind of ignored his progression. Um, I, I don't remember a 6'4", non-shooting <laughs> two-guard that good of a rebound. Like, th- th- he's got a rare mix. Mm-hmm. Of talent, but somehow it just seems to fit very well. He's he's uh, he's also one of those guys Mark talked about previously. One of those guys, you know, athleticism matters. Like he can he can jump and he can run, and he is one of the fastest guys in the league with or without the ball. And that is is very evident when you watch ball games. I'll take him over Andre Roberson. Yep, I do too. All right, guys, What we're going to revive our Wear Amazing ha- Happens segment, and I guess we should, frankly, rename it to Wear Amazing Doesn't Happen. First, we need to just briefly, we're not, we're not going to discuss this, but we need to at least shout out the Lakers for apparently meeting with Voldemort this past week, according to ESPN's Ramona Shelburne, and telling him basically to stop talking. Uh, they are concerned with him, especially criticizing Luke Walton, <laughs> which he has done. On more than one occasion, he's especially, I mean, Eric Pincus of Bleacher Report seems to be able to get some really good quotes from him throughout the season, and he's gotten a couple about Luke in particular. So I'm going to put money on that we will not, this is not the last we've heard from him, but maybe he's focused on his kids, his other two kids now playing ball in Lithuania. So we'll see how that goes. But we need to talk about briefly According to ESPN's Rachel Nichols, you know, the All-Star game changed formats this year. So now instead of an East-West format, you still get 12 from the East, 12 from the West. The two starters or the two top vote getters are now captains and they're going to do a draft of the other 22 All-Stars, which seemed like a great idea, seemed like it'd be a lot of fun. We could see, you know, does LeBron avoid Kyrie Irving? Does Kevin Durant avoid Russell Westbrook? Blah blah blah. According to Nichols, it sounds like the NBA is not going to televise that draft. They're just going to release, you know, the the rosters uh, in a press release afterward. Deeks, is, are they missing an opportunity here? Um, depends what you mean by opportunity. I'd watch it, hell yeah, but it's an opportunity for fractious moments as well, which is not the kind of opportunity they want. So I'm not surprised or disheartened. Uh, a little bit sad because bit of soap opera can appeal to our worst instincts as humans but um maybe we shouldn't want that so yeah it was never going to happen um he says mark with hindsight and uh i think it's probably for the best that it doesn't 
Mort, how about you? Where do you stand on this? Yeah, I, I don't really have a horse in this one. I know you would just like to see the world burn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So obviously you're in on it. And j- just for your amusement alone, I, I would, if, if it came to a public vote ever, I would vote for it just for you, but I, I couldn't care less. Yeah, I'm legitimately bummed. And I know Howard Beck of Bleacher Report's on my side because he was tweeting about it yesterday. But, I mean, like, he brought up, I think it was him or someone he retweeted, who, I think it was Beck, actually, who said, like, these guys talk so much shit to each other, both on the court and now thanks to Joel Embiid on social media. Like, they're, you know, they have so much fun taunting each other and, like, drama is just such a big part of this league, especially, like, petty drama that like this this could be the the pinnacle of petty if if you know lebron is going to be a captain like i would pay all of the money to see if he would like bypass kyrie irving to draft someone who is objectively worse than him just to avoid having to play on the same team as kyrie like that would be hilarious so i understand i mean i get why yeah, people's feelings are going to be hurt. No one wants to be picked last. This is like, it feels like gym class, like elementary school gym class when you're drafting teams. Someone's going to be picked last and get their feelings hurt. But like, these are all grown-ass men earning, if you're an all-star, you're probably earning at least $10 million a year. Like, get over it. It would be so much fun. And then like, just that the Embiid shit talk alone would be worth it. Because you know, I mean, if he stays healthy, he's going to be an all-star. And whichever captain doesn't pick him, you know he is just going to go off on. And if he was, like, toward the bottom of the list, if he didn't get drafted until, like, the 20th pick, oh, my God, it's a it's a made-for-TV moment. So if they don't televise it live, I hope they at least film it and <laughs> release it afterward, like, five or ten years down the line. I don't care. Just, please, God, someone in the NBA capture video footage of this moment because it really sounds like it's going to be hilarious. Yeah. I feel this is more of an Embiid thing for you. Yes, it the is. Principle. Yeah, it's it's all about your uh, your love for Joel Embiid. Your boner is actually poking me in the eye right now, Brian. If you could just take your yeah. take your <laughs> take your in boner out of my face, that would be nice. Um, yeah, it Tell would me be. I'm pe- wrong. Well, no, I'm I am going to let you have uh, have your uh, opinion. But when you said um, that it would be petty, yeah, that's not what the NBA is going for, me. The NBA is not going right. for petty. The All Star Game is not supposed to be petty. It's a celebration. Of the game at its most beautiful, not at its most petty. But uh, Brian, by any chance, by playing the worst game of the year. Yeah, well, you know that yes, but at the same time, you at least get to see things you don't see elsewhere. So anyway, Brian, do you watch really shit television by any chance? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I still watch The Walking Dead. I mean, in terms of know. like shitty um, Kardashian era stuff, because this appears to be appealing oh. to the same base impulse right there. <laughs> yeah, that I, of I, I do admittedly watch The Bachelor and all iterations of The Bachelor franchise. So, yes, the, it really might just be playing to that. But luckily, The Bachelor comes back on <laughs> on January 1st, as they are calling it, because The Bachelor's name is Ari this year. It's you know what? I, I, I think I'm actually happy to be the oldest one here. <laughs> yeah. It's the yeah. grizzled old man of the group. <laughs> You guys are oh, I'm joining out. you on that one. If if the alternative is to have to watch shit on television, so. <laughs> Morton, should we stay indoors you know, and watch our bodies fall apart? That sounds like fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In, in times like these, you need 
light moments like the bachelor which is just a televised train wreck every week and yeah that, i guess that is what i wanted to see for the nba too because yeah i think you're right like the, the NBA <laughs> you want the is nba to sponsor... be more like the bachelor I just want that on, on that on the, as the line for the podcast. that's what you want yeah well, well that's, that's settled that then so that'll be the last episode <laughs> of the nba podcast <laughs> it's not far off from the drama of the bachelor i'll say that much but yeah, I mean, they're not going to sponsor that kind of thing, but, like, that's, I mean, some of the funniest moments this year in the NBA, not just Embiid. I mean, Embiid does a lot of them, but, like, you're it's, telling me dude, you guys it's in my eyes. Dying. Can you please take your erection for Embiid out of my face? <laughs> I don't need to see this. You're telling me you weren't amused when he told Hassan Whiteside that his plus minus was ass and then posted his location as Whiteside and said, my location is extremely ass? Like, Made for TV moments, guys. We're missing out. I'm, I'm, I'm all for Joel Embiid. I just don't want to see your penis. <laughs> <laughs> Reasonable. That's most people should feel that way. Uh, all right, I, let's... I think most people do, Brian. <laughs> let's. Thankfully, unlike most men, I don't pull my penis out in inappropriate times. At least all the time. Uh, on that note, can I let's... go now? It's, it's, it's a wrong turn. <laughs> yeah, this... We have to now make the most awkward transition of all time to our My Crush segment, where we're going to sing the praises of people who are, are are going unrecognized or less recognized than they should. Morton, last week you picked Kevin Durant, a really bold choice for the My Crush segment. Who do you have this week? Well, you know, I always have this tendency of talking about the guy that I end up choosing, and uh-huh. it's David Nwaba. Okay, I like it. 11 points a game over the past uh, six. He's getting to the line a lot, just not hitting him. That's a problem. But efficient from the field. He's a great rebounder and a downhill player. So I think he deserves some some shout-out. I would agree with that. He, he's balling his, balling his brain out. Uh, Deeks, you you luckily have not had to do a crush segment this year. So you could pick, is there anyone in the NBA who you think deserves more recognition than they've been getting this year. Uh, well, let's take a slightly generous interpretation of your phrasing there, deserves more recognition, because my gut instinct is telling me to shout out Troy Daniels. Not because I think anybody needs to give him recognition for being anything other than Troy Daniels, but just because I love the phrasingness <laughs> of the boy. He's just He scored 32 points the other night by doing the same thing he always does, which is literally just catch it and shoot it as and when he's got about 15 centimetres of space. He does one thing out there. He does one thing. He's not a good defender. He's not, he doesn't break down a defence, move, drive, handle. He just casts them the fuck up, and I love watching him do that. And it's working. He scored five uh, double figures in five straight games in the absence of Trevor Booker. The minute should be going to Jackson. They're not. They're going to uh, they're going to Troy Daniels, who is just casting them up in losses. It's a beautiful thing. So thank you, Troy Daniels, for being Troy Daniels. And incidentally, on the topic of uh, talking about people, we also wanted to shout out a bit more love for Bobby Porter. It's just rarely do you see someone have that much fun being that uh, ill restrained on the court. It's it's, it's a beautiful thing. I love watching him play. So Bobby Portis and Troy Daniels are two-fifths of the way to Mark's perfect team. We won't win, but by God, we'll have fun doing it. <laughs> may, may God only make you a GM one day. I'd love to see that. Uh, oh, God, don't put I'm, that on the CV. I wouldn't actually build a team around Bobby Portis <laughs> and Troy Daniels. Just, just the, the fan in me coming out there. Sorry about that. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I'm going with Will Barton for mine this week. 
I mean, the the Nuggets. Oh yeah, no one ever heard of him. Will Barton or Kevin Durant, Lord? Who's <laughs> still saying? <laughs> I mean, he's he's not getting as much love as he should. I would argue. Like he's, I mean, he's over his last eight, he's averaging almost twenty points, five and a half rebounds, five and a half assists. The Nuggets are. You know, I guess they're actually yeah they're five and three over their last eight. He was I think he scored eleven points in overtime last night against the Pelicans if I saw that right. Like he's they've really been counting on him to play a much bigger role. Millsaps out for a while, you know until possibly February, but Jokic was banged up there for a little while. So Will Barton has really taken on a much larger offensive role than he had been. You know, he he was like the microwave scorer off the bench most of the time. I guess he moved into the starting lineup briefly in Jokic's absence. But, I mean, the guy is going to be in the six-man-of-the-year conversation, or at least he should be. Uh, And he's going to be an unrestricted free agent, I believe, in July. Like, if he keeps playing this well, I'm really – I think there are a few players in the NBA I am more interested to see what happens in free agency. Like, yeah, I want to know where LeBron goes and where Paul George goes, but – we know they're going to get max deals. Like I'm very curious to see what type of deal Will Barton gets next, given you know the cap concerns that we've we've discussed uh, previously. The teams just aren't mm. going to have a lot of money. But like you know, Will Barton, he if he keeps playing this well, he's you know he's going to be 27 in when he has free agency. Like there's there's something there. He's right in his prime. I mean, it. Is he a $15 million a year player? I don't know. But if he keeps playing like this, we'll find out in July. He'll beat out Andre Roberson, at least. Yeah, one, one would hope. Yeah, what? Roberson got $10 million last year? $10 million a year? Yeah, no, I was I was just going off what we were talking about earlier, finding candidates oh, for, yeah. for the Thunder. Oh, my like, God. He would be, I, it's, it's completely unrealistic, but right. he would be the perfect fit. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, that. <laughs> Morton, as, as a fellow broken down old man hurtling towards 40, do you find it difficult to hear 27-year-olds being talked about as being in their prime? Yeah. Jesus. Yep. Brian, you I have do. it all to look oh, forward yeah. to from next week onwards, buddy. He's just It's a slow, right. slow, steady decline until the sweet release of death consumes us. So um, welcome to the dark side. <laughs> Yeah. Thank I you. still remember where it all began, Mark. I mean, the Andres Biedrins was the first guy in the NBA who was turned out to be younger than me, and ever since then, it was just downhill. I mean, I'm so. I'm I'm getting scary close to the point where I'm older than them all. I was older than the whole last yeah. England World Cup squad, and it just you know it's a wrap. We're done here. They, that's it. It's game over. I don't just mean on my athletic <laughs> yeah. career. There never was one, but just in general, we are we are done, mate. We're we're washed up. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm turning 32 in, in April, and I'm looking at all the guys that I'm calling old right now in terms of, like, an NBA perspective, and it's just like, fuck. 32 me. is basically a million. That's, that's, that's an insane yeah. age, and you should be disgusted. Yeah. I'm 33. <laughs> well, luckily for us, <laughs> writers only get better with age, in theory. So, thankfully, our bodies can decay, but our... Our minds are always improving. Let's go with that. Let's let's end the podcast on a sunny note. That was nice. Something yeah. not with your dick out. That's good. <laughs> right. And we know Brian's erection right. still works because every time he talks about Joel and B, he uh, pulls one out that can I can see from this side of the Atlantic. So yeah, yeah, you're not as old as us yet. <laughs> 
on that note, uh, I do want to give a sincere thank you to all the listeners out there for sticking with us through 100 episodes and sticking with this nonsense especially. Uh, it means a lot to us. We couldn't do it without you guys, and we you know, we hope you continue listening. We, we've, we've had a lot of fun doing this over the last year and a half. We have no plans to change any time moving forward, so we're going to keep this going, and we hope you stick along for the ride, tell your friends about it, um, and hit us up again you can hit us up on twitter at the nba pod if there's anything you want to hear us discuss let us know there you can also find us on itunes so please subscribe download leave some reviews we really love any feedback and we're being hosted this year on FanRag sports so check them out on twitter at FanRag sports and for their nba content at FanRag nba until next time i'm brian Tapork, and i was joined by morton jensen and mark deeks have a good one fellas you too, Brian, and shout out Sarah Julia. Yes. Congratulations, gentlemen. One hundred episodes is to a thousand more. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. The Starlight Lounge presents an evening with the progressive box. Yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-o! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. At Pathways Financial Credit Union, we know things come up that might require extra family funds. You could use the equity in your home to help pay for almost anything, from home improvements to a family vacation. Our home equity line of credit has rates and payments much lower than a traditional loan or credit card. Find out why Pathways is the fastest-growing credit union in Ohio over the last 10 years. Visit one of our convenient locations or check us out at PathwaysCU.com. Offer of credit is subject to credit approval. Pathways is an equal opportunity lender and is federally insured by the NCUA.